Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Let me talk to you. Yeah. And folks, we have a lot to talk to you about this week, and we want to keep that conversation going after the show. So, Pad, where does everybody head on over to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over to the website after the show ends, and definitely interact with us on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. Check out the T Public store. You never know when a great sale is going to be happening over there, so we definitely recommend you go over there and go get some ODPH swag after the show as well. Check out the Patreon link. Shout out to all our amazing patrons. One tier, $2 a month. You can't beat it, and a lot of content on the way, too. Also, check out the blog section, the directory, which, Pat, how many providers are we on? 620,000. Sounds about right to me. I lose track, but Pat is on top of that, folks. All I know is to quote Vegeta, it's over 9,000. Yes, indeed. And also, you got to check out the classified section where you can find friends of the show, such as such as the 3FN Podcast, such as Dragon Master Games, such as Nerd Initiative. Also, you can go check out the music section where you can check out such amazing groups as Brian Wolf and the Howlers, who have new merch out. Yeah, I saw that. Saw that. Very happy for Brian and the boys down in Austin, Texas. Also, locally, you can check out Shout at the Robots, who are back playing live music. I am so happy about this. I'm really trying to contain my thoughts about it, and that's why we're bringing back Fail Better Fridays on our Instagram. So if you're following everything there, I mean, it's simple. One-stop one click for everything you need that is anything and everything that is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com, and always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Well, this is a very special edition of the show mm-hmm. because a movie has come out yes. that Pat and I have very interesting views about, mm-hmm. and... One thing that we always preach here at 607 Podcast, and if you listen to 3FN Podcast this week, they echo the same thing, and we've been saying this since day one. Shout out to our fam over there. We have always said, love what you love. And if you're a fan of something, be a fan of something. Just don't be toxic. Don't go out of your way to try proving you're right, so to speak. Just Mm -hmm. be respectful of everybody in conversation, because that's what real fans do. You don't have to sit there and try picking fights on the internet for reasons. Yeah, I mean, to give an example, I know Ken is not the biggest fan of Batman and Robin. I acknowledge it's not a good movie, but I still have fond memories of it, having watched it as a child, and it was the first Batman movie I saw. Mm-hmm. And I always respect that opinion of him. And like I say, he asked me my opinion. He knows I, I really don't like it. Yeah. And then, you know what? It's cool. Yeah. And, and there's no ill wills towards this. And a movie has come out this week that has kind of generated that same vibe and is one that has reached across the fan base of pop culture Mm -hmm. and people have very different opinions about it. Have had different opinions for what, like three, four years now? Easily. Easily? Easily because of differing reasons, (laughs) but one has been kind of overshadowing everything. I'll say there's one larger than the others. Yes. Yeah. But when this movie came out, we knew that this is going to be something that we want to spend enough time talking about. Mm -hmm. So we're doing something very uncharacteristic for the ODPH. We're just making one segment about this. Yeah. 
And then we're going to have, obviously, our one-shots. And then if you're looking for our Secret Invasion and uh, Superman and Lois coverage, we're going to be dropping that next Monday. Yeah. As we're recording and then going back to the sports schedule on Tuesday, as we usually do. But we want to give this property enough time to talk about. Yeah, I don't think we've had a film this divisive, I guess you could say, yeah. since, since maybe like Dark Phoenix. And even Dark Phoenix didn't get this divisive. No. Dark Phoenix, you and I were on the same page. Yeah. And that was probably the most negative episode we've done. Yeah. I mean, maybe Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice was was pretty divisive in, in the split. Of like some liked it, some didn't, and a whole bunch of other nonsense. Right. And especially going into this weekend, I know that there's a lot of content creators that are not talking about this film, and that's sure. completely cool. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not I'm not judging. I just noticed when I'm going online, I'm seeing a lot that are really reaching to, uh, in my opinion, trying to put a nice spin on this movie. Sure. And I'm saying, like, over-the-top reach. And, and like I say, if, if you really, if you 100% feel that way, that's cool. Do you. But Pat and I have got some various feelings about this film, and we, like I say, just to reiterate, we want to take the time talking about this. Yeah. And if you love this film, awesome. If you didn't, oh, we're going to have something for you as well. Pad, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about the latest film from Warner Brothers and DC Studios in The Flash, which is, of course, uh, starring uh, Ezra Miller, Michael Keaton making his return as uh, Batman from the original film in 1989. Uh, ben Affleck is in it as well. You've got Sasha Calais playing Supergirl, uh, among a host of other folks. Yes. So the long-rumored, long uh mythical film i guess at that stage announced uh on the what was it first season yep during, the, during the first season of the cw show flash yes overshadowing their debut on the cw as well the, the ratings came out the day they announced this movie yep i mean we so, which was 10 years ago yeah so we can't really lie about that fact yeah. that was announced and especially on that the, is factually correct you can go look it up yeah so this film has been rumored as long as that show has run. Ironically, it comes out right after the show is wrapped up. Yeah, that show was announced when the this movie was announced when the show started and came out after the show ended. Yes. Which is wild. And the story of script writing, how many people were attached to this oh at one point. God, a lot. As just it's almost a thing of legend. Yeah. I mean, at one point Grant Morrison was tagged to be writing this film with Ezra Miller and it was on the brink of happening, then it didn't, then there, somebody if, else swooped in. If you go to the Wikipedia page for The Flash, or you, you Google, Google search The Flash film, and you look at the Wikipedia page, there's an entire segment, obviously, for production and then development. You know, And then there's a whole section for early attempts, which I won't read the full thing. It's two, I'm showing kind of, it's two full paragraphs. Yeah, it's crazy. And then it goes into the DC Extended Universe, which has one, two, three, four, five extended paragraphs. Mm -hmm. So you've, you've got seven paragraphs of information just on pre-production before you get to the information on the Wikipedia page for pre-production, mm -hmm. which that tells you how much development hell this movie was in until pre-production. Yeah, so... To say it's cursed is one thing. To <laughs> to say it's had bad luck is another. Obviously, the drama with Ezra Miller has not helped matters. No. And we've covered that in a previous episode. Yep. And we've had a lot to say about it. Yep. And the more the weeks have been going on, the more that the movie really shifted away, in my opinion, from being about The Flash. Yeah. To being about Michael Keaton returning as Batman Yeah, well, with all the promotion work. Once it came out and once that first trailer dropped and you saw the figure mm -hmm. and you could tell okay because every batman suit in you know live action animation 
you know, obviously the comics too, but that's a whole different story. But every adaptation on 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 a screen, the costume has been different. Yeah. And once you saw this the silhouette, you didn't see the voice and you didn't see the face. You just saw it from the back. You knew, oh shit, that's not Affleck. Mm-hmm. So that kind of raised some interest. But then once. Keaton got showed off in the, in the first full length trail. That's where kind of the fever pitch took off. Like, oh shit! Yeah, and a lot of the marketing promotion went to say Keaton was back. Yeah, so it more or less shifted away from being about the Flash mm-hmm. to being about Michael Keaton returning as Batman. Right, which is what swayed my opinion to go check this film out. Mine too. Yeah, I mean to be honest with you, I was planning on skipping this. I th- I think we have it on record in previous episodes before the, it was revealed Michael Keaton was in this movie. They were like, yeah, we're probably. I think we were on the on the line of like, okay, unless something crazy happens, we're probably not going to go see this. And then something crazy happened. Yeah. So we both went to go see it different times. Yes, different days. S- yes, different days. So you are getting the one hundred percent honest reactions from both of us because we've only talked about it for a quick hiccup. Yeah. But we haven't gone into deep diving about it, but we do have differing opinions about it. Mm-hmm. So before we get into that, Pat, I know you got the box office numbers ready for us. I got some numbers and I got some ratings and reviews and whatnot. Uh, so looking at the folks over at BoxOfficeMojo.com, The Flash did, of course, finish number one at the domestic box office this weekend, bringing in $55,043,679, beating out the likes of Elemental. That's a new film from Walt Disney Studios uh, at number two. Number three was across Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Transformers Rise of the Beasts was number four, and then The Little Mermaid rounded out the top five. Uh, looking at the numbers overall domestically, the film is currently sitting at $61,204,480. Internationally, it is sitting at $74,500,000 for a worldwide total of $135,704,000. Uh, Switching over to the folks over at Rotten Tomatoes uh, on the tomato meter. So that, of course, is the critics review. Uh, They have 313 reviews there, and it is currently sitting at a 65 percent. And then the audience score is with 2,500 plus verified ratings. It is at 85 percent. Now, you, you can take that with some credence because. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes changed their system a couple of years ago within the last five where you couldn't just go and review a movie before it came out. Mm-hmm. You had to verify and prove you went to see the movie before they would let you review it so you could get away from review bombing. Uh, for what it's worth, because this site does not do that same uh, path, uh, on IMDb, it is currently sitting at a 7.3 out of 10. Uh, that is with 49,000 ratings. Although, again, take that with a grain of salt, because IMDb, you don't have to have seen the movie to review it, and the movie doesn't have to have come out for you to review it. Uh, and then also, it has a meta, meta score of uh, 56. So what that does is it takes all of the reviews gives them a number grade and then kind of averages it together. So it's currently sitting at a uh, 56. So like just for example, Polygon, it's at 70. IndieWire, it's at 67. Total Film uh, is at 60. The Wrap is at 49. The Guardian is at 40. So that's some interesting numbers. Yes, to say the least. So we are going to be spending the segment breaking this down. Now, if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. Please drop a rating on wherever podcast platform you listen to us. It does help the algorithm. Five stars is always preferable if you can. What we like to do is give a spoiler-free statement about the film. So if you have not seen this and you plan on watching this, we're not going to ruin anything for you. We're going to give you a spoiler-free statement, and then we're going to hit you with a countdown. Now, at this countdown, which is in the liner notes of the show, you can duck out. 
and you won't have anything else ruined for you. And, and normally I do the timestamp like, hey, skip or jump to this point. And normally it's the end of the segment for this week. I'm going to make sure it is at the beginning of the next segment. So when we go to do one shots. Right. So there's not any because I know for some people it might be harder to scrub. You might be on phone. You might be on this. I'm going to leave it with enough buffer space that you won't get spoiled. Thank you, Pat. So after that countdown, like I say, we're going to go into deep dives. We're not holding anything back about this. You're going to get the honest-to-God truth about this film from both of us. So that being said, Pad, hit me with your spoiler-free statement about The Flash. Uh, one more little thing I was going to mention, but I forgot to. Uh, on Letterboxd, that is the site where you can review movies and give them one to five stars, and you can give half stars. Uh, it is cur- with 123 members having reviewed the film on Letterboxd. Uh, it is currently sitting at a 3.0. Uh, for me, I thought the film was fine. You know, I'm not saying it was good. I'm not saying it was the worst thing I've ever seen. It was fine. You know, I didn't come out of it in the same vein I did when you and I went to go see Dark Phoenix, where I went, that was a fucking... Because you saw this on Thursday, Mm -hmm. in the premiere night. Yep. I, because of scheduling conflicts, didn't go to see it until Saturday uh, with my girlfriend, Liz Bailey. Mm -hmm. You know, so... I, I had we had talked briefly about it and I had heard what your opinion of it was. And so I went in with real low expectations. Like I'm like, this might be the first movie I come out well, second movie I come out of, wishing I had gotten the two and a half hours back and seeing if I could get my money back. Mm-hmm. But I so I went into it with really low expectations and I'd heard mixed. I'd heard some people say it was fantastic, and I'd heard other people say it was kind of dog water. Mm-hmm. That it was that it wasn't good. You know, but for me, it was, it, it, like I said, it was fine. You know, I didn't hate seeing the movie. I didn't regret going to see it. It was what it was. You know, I mean, my girlfriend, Liz Bailey, was kind of in the same opinion. Like, it, it was fine. You know, we saw it. We don't feel there's a need to see it again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like the action sequences. Michael Keaton was the best part of this movie, hands down. Mm-hmm. There was certainly some stuff I didn't like about it. There were certain characters, especially when we'll get into it once we go into spoilers, didn't care for Supergirl. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against Sasha Calais, and I think that's how you say it. If not, I apologize. I have nothing against the actress. The the actress for what she was given, fan fucking tastic. But in terms of the character, could not care less. You know, I, I I actually came out of it going, they were supposed to have done a spinoff movie based off of that character. I and and I was like, if they were still going through with that, I would have no interest to see it. Mm-hmm. The character for me was that bad. You know, the story was. Fine. You know, it, it fell apart for me when it got to, you know, the third act and, and some of it left me a little confused. I'm like, wait, what's going on here? And I had to like pull myself out of the experience there for a second to kind of figure out what was going on. But overall, it was fine. An absolutely abysmal time to wrap things up for the DC universe as we knew it mm-hmm. with very lackluster writing, atrocious CGI. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Jesus Christ. And relying too heavily on the nostalgia of seeing one of the most iconic superhero portrayals come back to save this film, it just couldn't do enough in my eyes. Sure. I really sat there and went in with an open mind. Sure. Because I had heard from a lot of people that I know and I listened to that really had nice things to say about this. Right. So I had known going into this, this was going to be the end of the DC universe 
on film as we knew it. I don't care what you want to define as DCEU, whatever, right. blah, blah, blah. Well, and plus every iteration of Flashpoint has been a reset for that universe. Exactly. Going right to the comics and such. Comics, the animated films, you know, you name it. Yeah. So I knew that this was going to be the end. And I was really hoping for all the hype that went into this and the long road it got to go. Right. That I was going to walk out of there and go, man. That was a film. And especially because it was getting hyped up that Stephen King had seen a uh, preview of the mm-hmm. movie, had seen a cut of the movie. And Stephen King, who notoriously isn't that big of a fan of comic book movies, yeah. praised the movie. Tom Cruise, who you don't know his opinions one way or the other on comic book movies, he praised the hell out of the movie. Yeah. You know, but you had folks coming out of the woodwork that like normally don't care or don't really say much about comic book movies saying, this is a great movie. Yeah. And, I, I'm, and I'm sitting there going, well, this is weird. I've heard people say it's the greatest comic book movie of all time. No. And I literally have to go, what movie did you watch? It might not. Because I didn't see that. It might not even crack the top 15 for me. No, Top to be, 20. I don't even think it cracked the top 20. This is on the low end for me. Yeah, it is. For me, too. And I, and I like I say, this might... It's Well, no, because I, I was going to say the worst one of all time. No. It's, it's, it's it's that I will say this for me personally, it's in that conversation because where I was going in with this is to say goodbye to a universe that is very polarizing, has had good moments and has had some extremely bad ones. Martha. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping we got something. Sure. And we did get something, but it was such a mess. Mm Mm-hmm. Of too much all yeah. over the place. It yeah. wasn't linear. It wasn't a. To put it in flash terms, you were you were not running from point A to point B. You went from point A around, took the scenic tour, went through some other cities, came back around, yeah. tried looping through, did a circle, and then yeah. tried going to this finish line. But you were so tired by the time you got there, you didn't hit the line. Yeah, there there was certainly some stuff that could have been fleshed out. Yes, and I think that that really hurt this film, and for being one that had so many eyes on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm excluding Ezra and that whole drama out of this. I'm saying for the character right. that has had such an amazing run on the CW, no pun intended, right. with Grant Gustin, who came in and crushed that role. Right. In comparison to the writing with this, in my opinion, it fell flat, and it really never got its footing. And I thought that what I was seeing is just too much all over the place, and it didn't connect with me as a fan. Uh huh. And then even when we get to the third act, which I fully agree with you, yeah, was just what are we doing? See, for me, the first the first act, you know, I felt had its footing and it was kind of going at like an okay pace, mm-hmm. you know. And then it started to, you know, towards the middle third or middle half, whatever, however you want to define the fraction, it started to stumble and it just never recovered. Yeah, it, that like it, it didn't finish, you know, because the runner, oh, they stumble, they fall down, but they get up and they finish the race standing up. You know, in this instance, he started off strong, stumbled, fell on his face, and then just kind of like stumbled across the finish line. See, I, for me, like like I say, and I fully respect your opinion, and I yeah. hope everybody's getting this at home. I am completely fine with the opinion, but I'm just saying, for me, this is my bottom five of all-time comic book movies because it was just all over the place, and I think what they were trying to do they could have done a lot better. They tried too much. They tried way too I'll, much. I'll agree with that. Yeah. 
They re- they really tried way too much. You could have cut this movie down by a half hour. Yeah. And for maybe, all maybe more. And for all the nostalgia that they were trying to pump in to save it, it it ran out of air. I mean, listen, they couldn't they didn't use that 89 theme enough. Yeah. Oh, I know. Because like it, admittedly, I was born the year that movie came out, so I never got to see it in theaters. So the fact I got to hear that theme that that's not a spoiler folks, the the Batman 1989. Yeah, that's theme very well known. From Danny Elfman is in the movie. They use it copiously. For me, that was that theme wasn't in there enough because I never got to hear that theme in theaters. Yeah, it never got re released, and I'm sure it might have gotten re released during the pandemic. But uh, movie theaters here in New York State were never open, so I never got to see it during the pandemic years. Mm-hmm. The pandemic years, uh, but no. So for me, I agree they relied a little too much on nostalgia, except for that theme. That theme was not used enough. No, I I will say, and we'll get into this when we talk to the spoilers. They they tried going too heavy with it, right? And it just wouldn't save it. I'm sorry. Like, you just, they were trying to pump so much air into this. Like, yeah. they're really trying to inflate this big balloon. Yeah. And it just, there, there was too many holes in it and it just fell flat. Mm-hmm. And like I say, for me, I did not like it. I, it's in the bottom five for me, but we will get into more spoiler talk and I'll kind of break it down because I, I feel I'm going to start slipping up and saying something. All right. So let's get into that spoiler talk in three. Two, one. All right, Pad. Talk to me. Well, like I said, you know, I'm not saying the movie was good. I'm not saying if for me it was it was bad. For me, it was kind of middle of the road. It was like it was a movie. I saw it. You know, I for me, it's kind of I think in the same vein of like you know seeing Daredevil and seeing uh, Elektra back in the day. Like I saw the Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner ones. Yeah, the Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner ones. You know, I saw them. It was a thing. You know, I'm not afraid to say I saw it, mm-hmm. but like. Am I going out of my way to rewatch, you know, the Ben Affleck, Jennifer Gardner films from the early 2000s? No. You know, am I going to go out of my way to watch this again? No, not. I mean, my kind of my gauge for if I want to rewatch a movie or not is was did I enjoy it? Was it incredible? Was there a moment in there I want to re- rewatch again or, you know, see on see watch over and over again? Like the the three Spider Men swinging in in No Way Home, I've watched that scene probably a hundred times. Oh yeah, sure. Just because it's an amazing scene, I can't honestly think of one scene in this movie that I'm like, you know what, I want to rewatch it just for that scene. Mm-hmm. That there there's no scene in this that for me like with Return of the King from Lord of the Rings when Rohan shows up and it's the Edden speech, I get chills and I get choked up, and it's twenty years since the movie came out. I'm probably not going to have a moment in this movie. I'm thinking about 20 years from now going, oh, that was such a great experience to see in the theaters. If they re-release it in theaters, I'm going to pay some extra money to go rewatch it. Like, there's none of that in there for me. You know, Ezra Miller was, eh, he was there. You know, he didn't do, he wasn't great. He wasn't awful. You know, so he was, he was what he was. Keaton was awesome. You know, I, I will say that. And, and everyone else was just kind of, there you know no mm-hmm. nobody really else gave me a reason to like care or remember their portrayals i like i say this was just a mix of just lackluster writing mm-hmm. the acting other than keaton which i will say was the saving grace but not enough to save this right i want to stress this Keaton can only do so much right but I thought Ezra's performance was very boring. Uh, I will agree with you about the Supergirl character, yeah. and it's nothing against Sasha Kali no. either. I want to stress no. that too. But they really, 
They tried doing, in my opinion, the Red Sun storyline yeah. with her, but they, they kind of skated around it a kind little bit. They did the Red Sun storyline without making her Russian. Yeah. yeah. Like I say, because uh, they never explained how she wound up there. Right. They just kind of said, all right. Well, and that's that, that's kind of my issue, and I can say this since we're in spoiler talk, but like that was my issue with the characters. I'm like, oh, okay, so we're going to see Supergirl on screen. They basically relied on the fact that the costumes were the same. Yeah. You know, she mentioned, oh, I'm Kal-El's cousin. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to care about that. And that was kind of it. Then I'm like, we're not getting any explanation of like why she showed up in Russia. Why, you know why you're just kind of like, oh, you should connect the dots yourself. I don't want to be spoon fed for things, but do a little bit of the like. Well, that was a whole problem that they were trying to, to they were trying to do that story, but they skated around it. Right. And it's like you wait, you you didn't really explain. It. You just said, well, there's somebody landed there and then we go. Right. Because, I mean, from where we get from point A to that moment it's messy. Yeah. And it's something that with what they had to work with, and we have to keep this in mind too, with the character mm-hmm. in this film, they say that this has been at least three years, right? Since the justice league movie at least. Yeah. So, yeah. And so at this stage, we, we have known that Barry Allen has had his powers for some time now, right? At least I'd say maybe five, right? So where they were trying to rely heavy on him still being the awkward, mm-hmm. clumsy mm-hmm. crimeologist, yeah, they just overplayed that too much. That at this stage in the game, and I'm I'm going to be using a lot of the benchmark with Grant Gustin, sure, because for early in that season or the Flash, yeah, he was having some of those same problems, right. But he wasn't doing it second and third year. He started learning. Right. To me, with that opening scene, it's like you've been the Flash for this long. You still haven't gotten it together. Right. And it's like, okay, if we're going to have the weird, awkward moment trying to get my coffee and right. at, at, right. at, at, was it even jitters? or I, I they, know never that, said, I, they never said. Right. They never said. It was like a sandwich place. Yeah. It was, he was going to get his morning breakfast and, and such. When, that, when they started with that... And then he takes off. Like, I had no problem with that. Well, yeah. So he's got this, like, wristwatch on it, on his arm that measures, I'll just say, his fuel intake or how much speed force. Yeah, it's like his metabolism. He's got, a, he's got a thing. And it was low because he hadn't eaten breakfast that morning. And so he's waiting in line. And then all of a sudden, Alfred calls and, hey, we need your help in Gotham because we got an issue going on. And he leaves because, you know, his sandwich is taking forever to get made. Mm-hmm. And he stand, and he puts the suit on and he goes outside to do the long, elongated pose that he's getting ready to run off. But he gets recognized by fans. Mm. And we go through this whole and this is right as they're going to show the title. By yeah. The, by the way, they cut the some girl freaks out and go and they pull the title away and they go through this whole conversation with him and the girl. And he sees the candy bar and he goes, oh, my gosh, I need energy. Can you throw me that candy bar? And she throws it at him. It misses. And then he just takes off without taking the candy bar. Yeah. Like, like you're complaining about him not having energy. And, oh, I haven't eaten anything. They throw a candy bar at you. And then you just leave it? Yeah. Like, right from that point, I'm like, okay, this is not going well. Because, like, we're trying to be too funny. But if you're complaining about that, it, it doesn't add up. Right. Okay. Willing to, to calm down about this. Because obviously seeing Jeremy Irons back as Alfred. That was nice. I was happy with that. Okay, so he's calling him to Gotham because Batman needs help. Batman needs help. He goes, well, why didn't you call Superman? Oh, Superman's in another country. He's stopping a volcano from erupting. Yeah. Oh, why didn't you call... Uh, Aquaman. Aquaman. Yeah, he's not. A- he- he's uh, busy with some stuff. Oh, why didn't you call Wonder Woman? Funnily enough, she's not answering my calls. Yeah. So 
he's the last resort of the team. Right. Which I'm sorry, like at this stage in the game, I I understand, but I'm like, all right, well, there, there's the whole thing with Martian Manhunter and the uh, Snyder Cut. Yeah, which I'm sorry is it, now canon. It's canon. So did he just fuck off and leave Earth? Like, what the hell happened? Yeah. So okay. So and, and let's get let's be clear. That was Bruce who saw him. Yeah. That wasn't Henry Cavill. That wasn't Gal Gadot. That wasn't Cyborg. That wasn't Momoa. Mm-hmm. That was Ben Affleck's Batman who saw him. So plausibly. You're seeing a uh, Martian for the first time, and, and I'm saying you as in you are Ben Affleck's uh, Bruce Wayne. Pretty sure you tell Alfred, like, yo, you'll never guess what I just saw outside. Yeah. So at this stage, he takes off for Gotham City. Right. Running on empty. Keep that in mind. Across half of the continent, mind, yes. mind you. Yeah, from Central City to Gotham City. So Batman basically calls him to do damage control while he goes chases... This, uh, I believe it was uh, Falcone's. It was Falcone's kid. Yeah, who has now stolen a chemical weapon. Yep. And is going to unleash it all on Gotham. So They don't explain what it is, but all that's late is said later in the sequence is it, it almost gets dropped into the Gotham River, and Alfred says if that hits the river, it will have infected, I think it's either a half or three quarters of Gotham by noon. Yeah. So stakes are high. Yeah. We do see Ben Affleck reprise his role. Which, is, which was nice. Which was cool. Like yeah. I said, don't have a problem with Affleck being Batfleck. No. Not at all. So, and you do see it when his ship drops him in and he gets, you know, mm-hmm. his motorcycle going. It's like, so he has a cool chase sequence. Nothing yeah. wrong with this. Yeah. But he literally leaves Barry to go take care of the hospital that is falling apart because there's gas leaks, right. there's pipes exploding. If it's gone wrong with the hospital, it's gone wrong. Yes. And this is where the CGI, in my opinion, was just awful it was it was not up to snuff but boy i didn't think it could get worse and it got worse yeah because at this stage he winds up having to go to a uh, like it's like a maternity ward thank you i was looking for the word well well, so first he starts saving people around the the front of the building because the grounds collapse he saves the one guy in the ambulance he's running people out of the building then alfred messages him and he goes hey i did some calculations and they're never wrong but the i think he said the south tower of the hospital is about to collapse and barry looks at it and goes no it looks totally fine nothing it doesn't look like it's going to collapse yeah Half a beat later, starts to collapse, and and Alfred goes, what's that? And he goes, oh, that's the sound of the South Tower collapsing. And he's got to go in because they're trying to evacuate the hospital, but obviously they have to get the newborn babies out. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, the door to the maternity unit or the whatever ward where the kids rest after they've been born, the door is locked, and they can't get in there. Nobody has a key. So before anybody can get them out of there, or no, before anybody can get them out of there, the whole South Tower collapses, and, and the nurse, along with every baby in the ward, including a, a therapy dog, goes sliding out the window because the windows have shattered. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Barry now has to run into the air, literally the air, and save, what was it, like eight or nine children? Yeah. Eight or nine children, the woman, and the dog. Yeah. The scene is so bad, that's why I forgot it was a maternity ward. Yeah. It is very, very bad CGI. I didn't mind the premise of the scene because all we've really done is in these movies if you just take the movies you take out grant gustin you take out the movie the animated shows sure. 
all we've really seen him do is we've seen him run on the ground and run really fast and run over water and stuff. This is kind of like, hey, he can do more than just running on surfaces. Mm-hmm. From the co- premise of the concept, I didn't hate it. But then, like you said, the CGI kicked in, and I'm like, all right. And the whole he didn't have any energy for food thing just dragged down way too long. Exactly. It dragged down way too long, and then he's going through half of the sequence eating, 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 because, oh, my God, my metabolism's so low. Yeah, like at one point there's a microwave that falls out of the building. With with a burrito in it. With a burrito in it, the burri- ironically. The burrito falls out, and while he's saving children, he's eating a burrito like he's fucking Deadpool. Yeah. We like, could, like if this is Deadpool, I'd be like, all right, this is on brand for him. Yes. This is, this is the Flash, though. But we define it as... Reasons. So sure enough, this magic burrito is enough to power him up. Well, it's a magic burrito, but then also he throws something. There's a fucking vending machine falling. Yeah. And he eats like half the vending machine. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, like, did he turn into Super Mario where he gets like magic powers from the mushrooms or something? That's what it felt like. Like, it just like we're relying on this idea that he has to, you know, like, like a series like that's what I thought in the video game like all of a sudden like he's getting food and he can power up and here's the thing that annoyed me they introduced this early enough that I thought oh this this whole concept might come into play later with the metabolism meter and off he runs uh, out of energy or whatever everything will starts to speed up and he can't tap into the speed force never gets mentioned again Mm -hmm. yeah you you never see that you I'm sure it's there but it's not a thing the rest of the movie yeah exactly so the entire opening sequence of this movie is he he's hungry, he has no energy, but he's still running around. He gets the magic burrito, and he winds up saving everybody, and it's like, we never go back to this later in the film. You, you introduce Kryptonite because Kryptonite's going to be a factor later in the movie for Superman. Yeah. You introduce the whole thing with Yellow and, and Green Lantern because it's going to play a factor into the movie down the road. You don't introduce the colored yellow in a Green Lantern movie because, ooh, look, a pretty daffodil. Yeah. So, like I say, he's powering up like he's in a video game. Like I say, yeah. it was like the Super Mario. Like, yeah. he either gets the star or he gets the mushroom. Whatever the case is, he's powering up. Yeah. So, now this is enough to carry him through where he goes and is helping Batman trying to stop right. Falcone's group. Right. And he barely does this. Yeah. The Wonder Woman eventually shows up. Wonder Woman has to come bail them out because he, he's basically holding on to one of the criminals yeah. who has the briefcase with the vial of chemicals hanging off the bridge. And Wonder Woman has to come in and make the save. Right. And obviously, Gail Godot reprises her role as Wonder Woman. No problem here. No. They kind of do play off like Barry is basically, you know, the second fiddle. He's kind of, yeah. he's, he's the sidekick of the Justice League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the butt of the jokes. He's, yeah. He's the comic relief. Yeah. Which I like, and Pad knows this very well, but I, I don't mind. I like humor when it makes sense. Yeah. This, I thought they tried overplaying too much. Right. And I was really just getting annoyed with it. I mean, I get it, and I've, I get it from certain instances. Like they did it very well in the Justice League animated show. Yeah, the animated show, fine. Well, the animated show, especially where like there was the one scene where like they first got together and the aliens were invading, and they're like, "Oh, we, you know, we got to go incognito. We got to hide our. We can't go out in our costumes." And and the Flash goes, "Well, what about our secret identities? I don't know you well enough to reveal my secret identity." And then Batman proceeds to go around the room and name everyone's secret identity. And he, and he goes, uh, and then he pulls off his mask. He goes, yeah, you're Wally West. And and he goes, well, okay. Yeah. Like I say, humor like that is fine. Yeah. But when they just keep making the Flash literally what they used to do with Aquaman. I say, Christ, he hold, you know, Wonder Woman uses the lasso of truth to pull him up. Barry accidentally grabs the, the lasso of truth and go, then just goes, I don't know what sex is. Yeah. I'm like, okay. 
Yeah, like we we try playing on this. How they tried writing him was they tried really writing him like Spider-Man. Right. I mean, the Bruce bit was hysterical. The Bruce bit was fine. The Bruce bit was funny. No issues there. But with Barry, it was just like, why are you even here? Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, it's like you were literally the last person picked on the team. Right. And they think that low of you that like you're basically ignored once Batman is talking with Wonder Woman. And like, why are you even involved here? So... He winds up now going to his dad's uh, hearing to see about, right? you know. What well, he, his dad's got a hearing coming up that it's a, it's a parole hearing. Yes. So because in, in this situation, he does run by his old house because he mm. is talking with his yeah. dad about what has happened because his mom was killed and his right. dad was wrongfully right. well, committed and, and, for the murder. And at this point. Uh, Barry had gotten a hold of the footage from the the store his dad was in the day of the day of his mom's murder. That's supposed to clear his dad of any wrongdoing of the murder of his mom. And he went to Bruce and had Wayne Tech, you know, update and enhance and clear the video. But in the video, the dad never looks up at the camera. Mm-hmm. So he tells the dad, he's like, "Hey, our our golden egg or our golden ticket to get you out of jail isn't going to work." Yeah. So it is, it is a scene that definitely plays a big impact on the film. And Ron Livingston playing Henry Allen, I had no issue with him either. Because he yeah, obviously... He was good. Yeah, he was good and he did what he needed to do. And that was be a voice of reason for Barry. Because Barry obviously needs a lot. Because when he's relying on Bruce Wayne at this stage... Right. There's just some kind of friction between the characters still. Mm-hmm. And like I say, it's just... It, it, how it came off to me is like they don't respect him as a superhero. No. And he's kind of like there just to be there. Right. And it just felt like awkward. Yeah. Like when they're having these conversations, because yeah. when, when Barry is so wound up, he winds up running. Right. And he winds up somehow tapping into the speed force. Yeah. He, I think it's just I think it's just down to he gets upset enough that he just takes off running in a fit of emotion. Yeah. So he does wind up going back to earlier in the day. Well, what is what did he say? It's like an hour or hour earlier or something like that. It's Be- something, yeah, something like that. Because he ends up going to back in time, and and this is weird how they played this out. Where like his face pops out through a portal. It's not his whole body, just literally his face pops out through a little portal where initially the the women and the babies were falling out of the hospital, but time has stopped, and he's like, "Whoa, what is this?" Yeah. So now. He's come up with the idea, I can go back in time and save everything. And, of course, he goes to the one person he he thinks knows about this, Bruce. Mm-hmm. And he explains the whole concept, and Bruce is like, this is a horrible idea. Yeah, Bruce is like, shut up. You, you shouldn't do <laughs> Never this. bring this up again. He's like, you shouldn't do this. Yeah, like, literally. And Barry's like, well, I can bring your parents back. And Bruce, like, literally deadpans looks at him. He's like, no. There's there's a reason we are who we are, and, and it's these scars. Yeah. Affleck, no issue with his performance. Affleck was great. He was great in this. And he winds up. You know, taken off and Barry goes back, and obviously the next day is uh, supposed to be the trial. He runs into Iris West at this mm-hmm. point, yeah, uh, who's played by Kiersey Clemens, and so she's coming off, and it's it's kind of weird too because we right. have the scene that leads into this where Barry is obviously late for his job, right? Surprise, surprise, and yeah. he has to go out and go get coffee, right? And this is where he bumps into her, but it's like even his coworkers don't respect him. No, I mean he goes out, he goes out. Well, he goes out to get coffee, and then they go out for lunch. Like, he's in the middle of where he's in the doghouse. He's like, I got to stay late, and I got to skip my lunch to work. The two friends, whoever the hell they were, because they never mentioned their names, mm-hmm. go, hey, you want to get some lunch? And they go to get some lunch, and and the 
chief of police, the chief of forensics, whatever the person was, again, never said who it was. You mm-hmm. know, we're just left to assume is doing a press conference on some crime that had just happened. Yeah. And he gives a statement to the press about it. And Barry overhears it and he gets pissed off because he's like, I'm still working on that uh, evidence. Yeah. And Iris catches wind of this and she's like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. So Iris is now taking a vested interest in what he's doing. And it right. really comes off as like she's investigating him. Right. For a story. It doesn't come off like she cares for him. Right. Well, it awkwardly, it, it seems like she cares for him, but we don't know. Yeah. Like I say, at this stage, it's like. What, which are you interested in, him or the story? Yeah, because she keeps pressing on him about it. And like right. I say, it's just, it, it, it comes off so, I don't want to say cringy, but like. I mean, it came off to me that like she wants to do her job, but at the same token, I got the vibe off of her from this first interaction that like she was interested in him because you we find out that they knew each other, that they went to college together, they had a couple classes together, and we find out that, that he was interested in her. So like I kind of got that vibe that like, okay, I don't think he was interested because he had moved past, life had happened, and he got bigger priorities, mm-hmm. but she was still interested, and it was kind of that awkward teenage, you know, oh, we like each other, but we don't know how to convey it. Yeah. Like I say, it was just one of those weird situations, and then like it, late, it was mis- it was fumbled. It was fumbled it completely, been, especially considering Iris West is his Mary Jane. It's, yeah, it's his Lois Lane. It's his pick a superhero or superhero or heroine's partner. Yeah, it was shocking how little she was in this movie. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree with. I you. was a. St- I saw her on screen. I'm like, oh, okay, we're gonna get the introduction to Iris. I don't expect him to get married and have kids in this movie, but no, they're gonna set up the relationship a little bit. She was in there for maybe five minutes. Well, because the closest thing they get to is she winds up going to his apartment. Right. Well, because she feels bad for the interaction the the day prior. Yeah. And she's like, hey, I want to make it up to you. Yeah. And this is where Bruce Wayne is basically telling him, like, hey, don't do what you're gonna do. Right. Like, here's the evidence. Let the court do its thing. Right. Don't do anything stupid. Right. And, of course, Barry is just not hearing this because in the back of his head, he knows he can tap in to go back in time. Right. And he more or less decides to have that awkward moment where Nora is at his place. Or Iris. Or Iris, I'm sorry. Yeah. And he winds up leaving her. Yeah. To go go to the Speed Force. Because he, he sticks his head back and he goes, oh, hey, it was, it was a great time. We'll have to do it again sometime. But what Bruce told him was, you know, you can't interact with anybody there mm-hmm. that like it's going to have a profound impact on the timeline and it's going to mess with things. So what Barry comes up with is, well, wait a minute, I can go back and not interfere with anything because the whole reason this happened is because my dad had to go to the store to get another can of tomatoes. Cause we do get the flashback sequence of what happened yeah. that, that day and, and why his dad left. So he goes, Oh, if I go back in time and I simply put another can of tomatoes in my mom's cart, there's no need for my dad to go back to the store and there's no need for him to leave. And he can't be the one guilty for the murder of my mother. Yeah. So he winds up doing this. Right. And when he goes back, he does get a visitor that has a vested interest in him mm-hmm. appear in the speed force yeah. and send him on a trajectory. Thought it was zoom. We all thought it was zoom. If you've seen the flash TV show, what it looked like, yeah, it just, definitely just did purple instead of blue. Yeah. I mean, I obviously had all thought it was going to be like Savitar. Also, can we, the, yeah, that crossed my mind too. Also, Holy fuck, the CGI, every time they went into this Coliseum, I know there's a name for it, but I forget what they've called it, but he goes into the speed force Coliseum. Oh my God. I've seen better 
renderings on a fucking PlayStation 3 and an Xbox 360 from over 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh my god, this was bad. I know exactly. Like you and and I get that the the visual effects had or so many tied in the movie said, "Well, they're supposed to look like that." No. No. No, 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 no. No, they're not. It's called you ran out of time or the budget ran out and you couldn't finish it. Yeah. It looked Awful for two hundred and twenty million is the rumored budget for this is supposed to that's, have been. That's the reported, yeah. Like, where did it all go? Yeah, really. I'm sorry. Like, I this was just awful. Yeah, it was. And every time, yeah, and this, every this this wasn't an instance of like sometimes in an anime, you might have a shot or a frame or a scene that's like ah, you know what wasn't the normal animation team that worked on it it was another one so that's why it looks off no this just like start to finish every time they went into this arena or time force it was like a coliseum yeah yeah time force time force coliseum looked fucking awful it looked like the end of ant-man and um, wasp quantumania yeah when they had all the kangs yeah in the coliseum like yeah. they tried yeah. doing that yeah it just it was bad I'm sorry. This is and it was confusing as fuck too. Well, yeah, exactly. Because you just saw like and you, I, it was I, it was multiple it was multiple copies of the same fucking thing. Yeah, because what they were what they were trying to do and it didn't come off like this. You're seeing the all the different timelines, Timeline, right? And it was like if this was supposed to be the case, it literally looked like he was running in circles. They didn't establish that for me until later in the movie, where we're in the battle sequence and there's that whole thing where yeah. like they're going back multiple times, and it kept and and the pre, the future Barry stayed there, but the past Barry kept kept leaving. That didn't come across until you started changing the camera angle of like where he was looking. Then I'm yeah. like, oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Which so, shouldn't have to explain that a full hour plus after I've first seen it. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, he winds up going back and fixing things, quote unquote, quote unquote, to where he now realizes, yeah, his mother's alive, right? And Barry decides to go have the you know emotional moment of catching up, right? He's now having dinner with the family, so nothing has happened. The, the only thing we know is that something's off because they make a comment of like, "Oh, you cut your hair," yeah. So he's like, uh, yeah, sure. And then in the middle of dinner, they go, how's school going? Yeah. And he's like, uh, oh, right. I'm in school. Yeah. So school is very good. I have lots of assignments and I'm getting them done. Yeah. So and that even comes off so awkward, too. Yeah. Like, I understand that he is given the moment he's kind of flat footed and he's trying to make shit up as he goes. Right. But still, it's like his mannerisms in this. Right. Like, just I don't know where he was going. Like, even prior to him tapping into the speed force, like his mannerisms. Mm hmm. We're just like he's all, he was all over the place. Yeah, like I'm sorry, like the acting was awful in this for for that for yeah. those time periods. Yeah, and especially going into this moment because now we see he's having dinner with his family, so he's he's finally got what he's wanted. Yeah, things are good. Yeah, and then sure enough, he sees himself himself who has long hair coming in with a laundry bag to the house. Yep. So he winds up. He's excuse, like, I gotta go to the bathroom outside. Yep. And then sure enough, he breaks time travel rule one. Yep. Don't go see yourself. And he saw himself. Yep. So they wind up having the meeting of human Barry and powered Barry. Right. And it's, oh, I understand what they're going with. So, like, I'm not going to be as critical. Sure. Because obviously you have to explain the story. Right. So he winds up going to him. And I couldn't tell if he was just like, you know, like, whoa, man. Like. Oh, he was a stoner. Yeah, pretty much. And he was, was a stoner without saying a stoner because they knew kids were going to see this movie. Yeah. Like they, they really cr- just dodged that one. But yeah. yeah, 
And you can especially his roommates later in the later in the movie. Yeah. When, when they go to the apartment. Yeah. No, he's a stoner. Yeah. So basically, Barry's a very different character than we know. Right. And you have to see. We'll just say Flash is the normal Flash. Barry is right. Just for conversation sake. So, right. Because obviously we'll start confusing people. Right. So Barry with the long hair is like trying to figure out what's happened. And, and, and at the same time, Flash doesn't want to tell him because, again, time travel rules. Like, you can't tell someone what happens because then it's going to change the future. Yeah. And at this point, he thinks the future is still set for what it's supposed to be mm-hmm. or should be in his eyes. Yeah. So during their meeting of the minds, they wind up figuring out mm-hmm. that on this day ironically yep. is when Barry is or Flash is supposed to get his powers. Well, and he figures this out by looking at the sky and seeing a storm. Yeah. How the fuck he figures this out like I'm sure hey, news flash, I'm sure in Central City it storms more than just that one day out of its entire existence. Mm-hmm. Didn't make any sense to me. You know what service they looked at? Reasons. Reasons. Because honestly, that was another thing too. Like how, like literally, he looks. To, they have this whole conversation. They they start to explain some stuff to each other, and then Flash looks at the sky and goes, "What day is it?" And he goes, "Oh, it's Wednesday." No, no, no. What like day of the month is it? And it's he goes, "It's March 29th or whatever the hell he says." Yeah. And he goes, "By God, this is the day I get my powers." And I'm sitting there going, "How the fuck did you figure this out from a?" fucking storm in the sky exactly it didn't make any damn sense so they wind up having to recreate right the accident that gives flash his powers which barry's all for he's like oh sweet i'm gonna get powers and then he finds out wait i'm gonna get electrocuted yeah. no i don't want to do this yeah so they wind up sneaking into central city's police department right lining up everything right you do see the lightning come shooting in right and goes through both of them because at this point they're strugg- they're struggling Barry doesn't want to do it but Flash is like no you have to do it otherwise I won't get my powers because in his mind the timeline is still supposed to be good with everything that happened just his mother's supposed to be alive yeah but no everything is now completely falling off the tracks mm-hmm. so you do see that Barry now gets powers yep Flash loses his right. Which doesn't make any sense. No, it, it didn't. No. So we're relying on this as a plot point. Right. Putting this out there. So as they're seeing this is happening, we do see a familiar spaceship come to Earth. Right. And, uh, and that's the familiar uh, news broadcast. Yes. And, Pad, what broadcast is that? That would be the broadcast from the Gotham News Network and all the other whatever news stations that it is General Zod's ship appearing over the Earth looking for a super-powered individual from Krypton. Yep. So Michael Shannon reprising his role yeah. as General Zod. Yeah. And Barry is, or I'm sorry, Flash is realizing, oh, my God. This is, this is when Superman's supposed to show up. Yeah. So we have to go find Bruce. And in mm-hmm. Barry, we have, we have to find we have to find Clark. Yeah, and Barry's like, "Who's Clark? He's Kal-El. Who's Kal-El? He's Clark." I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. So in this Earth, Barry doesn't know who Superman is. Right. Well, nobody does. Cause nobody he, does because at this point in the Man of Steel timeline, he hasn't shown up yet. Right. But for whatever reason, Barry takes it upon himself. Of, I have to find him. Yes, because. They're now fully convinced that they can go stop this because he has powers. Right. He, which, uh, okay, I understand that in the Man of Steel film, we find out that Barry was there, mm-hmm. or sorry, the Flash was there, 
in his early powers, you know, early, you know, uh, suit concept of like, you know, something looking like fucking Tobey Maguire wrestling Macho Man Randy Savage look. Yep. You know, and, and he feels bad about the kid's father dying. But like, that's your justification for going to find Clark in this movie because you want to save that kid like or this kid's dad. Like, I, I didn't get the reasoning. I they just tried tying it back to why he became a hero and it just it didn't work. Right. And I and like I understand like when they were trying to do this obviously Barry or Flash realizes he's the cause of all this. Mm-hmm. So now I think it starts to dawn on him. It starts yeah, it starts clicking in that I'm the one responsible for this. I'm the one who's now doomed the earth. Right. So he's now having all these flashbacks and he remembers when that moment hits and that's I understand why that happened because he's like okay, he felt I have these powers. I have this gift. Great responsibility. Yep. I need to go help. In the name of Ben Parker, he came, you know, to his senses. Yeah. But he obviously realizes, well, if there's no Superman, well, who's the next best person? Well, no. So he doesn't even realize that. He goes. So he goes to the the way uh, Bruce Wayne Manor in Gotham. We meet Michael Keaton, and he's a shell of him, shell of himself. He's got long hair, got a beard. Come to find out. Uh, all crime has been eradicated from Gotham City. Yeah. There, there's no more crime in Gotham City, which, hey, hell of an accomplishment. <laughs> Nobody else has pulled that off. Mm-hmm. You know, and he goes, and, and Bruce doesn't want to help him. And he goes, fine, we'll, we'll go, but we'll be on our way. So Flash tells Barry, well, he doesn't want to help us, but we, I know somewhere that will. And he, they break into the Batcave. And he starts looking on the... Uh, Back, the, the, back, the back computer back computer because he's got a backdoor into nasa because of course he does and since barrett flash knows clark's origin story he starts looking for uh astronomical data of of unidentified objects entering the atmosphere over earth in the last 50 years and nothing turns up and he goes shit there's no superman on, on this earth and he goes i've really fucked up he goes you know what it's all right we got the rest of the justice league i can call the rest of the justice league well there's no Superman. Batman is not interested in helping in any way, shape, or form. He goes, that's all right. We'll go see Cyborg. So he looks he looks up Cyborg online. And he goes, all right. He's not Cyborg yet because he's still playing football for GCU. Mm-hmm. He goes, that's all right. We'll look up. Uh, he looks up Di- uh, D- Diana. Can't find heads or tails of her. So presumably she's still on Themyscira if she exists at all. We, we have no idea. They never mentioned. Right. And then he goes, well, that's all right. Arthur Curry. I can call Arthur Curry. And he looks up Arthur Curry online and he goes, all right, I know he's a man. Oh, there it is. And we get Tamora Morrison, a.k.a. Boba Fett on screen. Yes. And he goes, hey, uh, is Arthur Curry there? He goes, you mean Arthur? And he goes, oh, Arthur Curry. Yeah, of course he's here. But oh, I want to talk to him. Why do you want to talk to a dog? And they show the dog and it's a dog who barks that's named Arthur Curry. He goes, well, wait, aren't you married to the queen of uh, aren't you married to the queen of Atlantis? And it's so not the woman from. Oh the, my god! It's, it's so, so not. not the woman from the first Aquaman movie. Yeah. So literally, there's no one to help. Right. Which is just such a weird. It, it's a like that's actually an interesting moment because yeah. there's no Justice League. Right. And the only person in this universe that knows anything is Michael Keaton. Right. Who comes out with the long hair? And I will say this: Keaton was a bright spot in this. Yes. And one thing that I really enjoyed about him in this movie mm-hmm. is being somebody that's seen Batman and Batman Returns. And I remember going to the theater to see Batman. Sure. And just how much of a moment that was. Sure. So I will say I'm a little bit of a Keaton Mark. Sure. I love the fact that he got to do a shared universe mm-hmm. being Batman. And it, and to me, it felt like I've seen Batman with Michael Keaton in it. Mm-hmm. 
despite the fact that it's been 30 some odd years since he played the role, it felt like no time has passed. Yeah. You know, that he slipped into that role so goddamn easily that obviously he made the character feel like time had passed because, hey, there's no more crime in, Go- in Gotham. Mm-hmm. But in just in terms of slipping back into the suit and slipping back into the mannerisms and some of the vocal stuff, like no time had passed. Right. Because, I mean, this has always been his role. This has been his job. Like, yeah. This has been him. Yeah. So the fact he got to play in a shared universe, I liked. He overhammed it up. Yeah. Which I, I like. I'm, yeah. But I'm, I wasn't mad about and I do like the fact that when they were in the kitchen, he did explain time travel and the multiverse. So obviously... Which made sense. Which made sense. I loved how they did with the the bowl of spaghetti. Nine times out of ten, he's the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. So I love that fact of this. Yeah. Wasn't enough to save the film, but I did love this fact. So he... I, I like how they took a little dig at Marvel, too. Yeah, that was a little... <laughs> that was just funny. That was funny. Yeah, I got it. I noticed that where they're like, oh, you think you go back in time and you do this one thing. It's a it's a split timeline. And they specifically used the one that the, that they used in the in uh, Avengers... Uh, what was it? Uh, Endgame. Endgame. That they showed the little timeline thing. I'm like, ooh, dig it, Marvel. Yep. So, I would, like I say, that, that scene was okay. Yeah. But he obviously understands what's going on. He's somebody that's very open to the whole idea of the two flashes. and Well, he, he finally gets open to the idea because as Barry's looking on the computer to figure out what the fuck is going on, there's a red light flashing on the computer. And and while Barry goes to sleep in, in the fucking 89 Batmobile, which is mm. awesome to see again. Yeah. You know, Flash is looking on the computer and he looks at this blinking red light and he goes, I know you can see me and I know you can hear me. And then it cuts to him actually watching. And he appeals to a sense of like, you know, I did this just to save my mother. I know if you could save your parents, you would do the same thing or something to that effect. effect. And so he appeals to Bruce's, you know, heart on the inside of like, okay, I I can understand where this kid's coming from. Yeah. So he winds up now going in there and they do find out that, yeah, there's somebody that they think is in Siberia. Right. Well, because they expand their search parameters outside of the state of Kansas. Yes. And, and they find that there was a unidentified object that went down in Russia mm-hmm. and they do some digging and they find out that there is a Superman being held at a black site in Siberia. Yeah. And they're like, hey, we got to go to Siberia. Yeah. So they wind up taking off yep. to break into this military compound. Right. And this scene wasn't the worst. No, this was fine. No, this was maybe one of the bigger upsides because you finally get to see Keaton be Batman. Because mm-hmm. obviously he puts on the cowl. I know he it was kind of a little cheesy. He does the, you want to get nuts? Because that yeah. line is from 89. I right. did, but like I say, right. it's, they went for nostalgia pop. And if you're really heavy about Batman 89, you marked out for that. Well, and especially, I think it's a Batman that Keaton might have wanted to play back in 89. Oh, sure. But just because of the restraints of filmmaking back then, they couldn't do. Well, to to put it in perspective, you never had a shared universe till Marvel got it together. Right. People just didn't want to do it, like, for whatever reason. Hollywood was just not thinking that way. Mm Mm-hmm. And especially for him, who did Batman for two films. Right. And still had this lasting impression that to this day, people argue he's the best Batman of all time. Right. The fact that you got to go back and play him, but now after getting a taste of a shared universe by being Vulture and Spider-Man, mm-hmm. he now kind of understands it and wanted to have fun with the role. Sure. So like I say, I understood. This, and like I say, he it looked like he was enjoying himself doing this because it was something he never thought he'd get the chance to do again. Right. So they do have this crazy scenes running through this military base. They wind up freeing yep. or finding 
Kara Zor-El. They, they find the pod that's holding this Kryptonian super person. And they go, all right, time to save Superman. And they open, and it's not Superman. Right. But they do wind up taking her anyway. Right. And you do see that at this point, uh, Barry is definitely getting his year one experience uh-huh. and being somebody that's eating a lot. So they tied it back to him, but not the right. actual Barry Bear Air right. Flash. And you do see that he does get his leg shot because yep. he's careless. Yeah, I thought we were invulnerable. Why would you think that? Yeah, like his comic relief was just not really hitting there. I, like no, I, like, no, he was annoying for me. Uh, Barry, you know, long hair stoner Barry. Yeah, he just got he just he, he annoyed me. Yeah, it just got, it got way too much. Yeah. So when they finally do the escape. Obviously, Cara Zorel is outside in the sun, powering right. up. Well, because she goes from this like clammy white, you know, real off white skin to like you see the color return into her skin. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we get it. Yeah. So now she gets her powers back, takes care of everybody. Yep. They wind up flying back to Gotham. Yep. At this stage, Flash is saying, "I need to get my powers back. Let's recreate mm-hmm. the moment." Meanwhile, Kara has seen the news footage of Zorel. On Earth, and she goes, oh, oh my God, it's it's Zorel. There's Zod. Zod. Sorry, Zod. I got to go take care of this. And she takes They're like, no, we got to do this together. She's like, no, I'm going to handle this on my own and leaves. Yeah. So she winds up taking off for a bit. And then we get the attempt to get his powers back, right. which fails miserably. Because at this point, Barry's like, well, we've got no Superman. We've got Batman, which, hey, that's fine. We got one unexperienced Flash. Oh, we got to get my powers back because mm-hmm. I'm the only one with experience in knowing what this guy does. And how are they doing this, Pad? Uh, recreating it with the same chemicals and the same setup and lightning again, except it's you know with a it's Benjamin Franklin style in that it's a kite attached to a string, a bat kite, f- bat kite attached to a string floating in the sky. Yeah, and him strapped down like it's an electric chair. Bat kite. Kind of want one. I mean, it did have an advantage, I guess, because it was conducting lightning. Yeah, it it zaps him, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work, Yeah, which really doesn't make a lot of sense because if he's had all these chemicals on him in the first time, like it should have stayed with him. Right. And and while this is going on, Kara has gone off to confront Zod, who's confronting the U.S. military going like, hey, give me the super person. And they're like, we have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. Like, and he's like, we like, we thought you agreed to leave us alone. And he's like, yeah, he's like Vader. He's like, oh, I altered the deal. Pray. I don't alter it any further. And the, and the entire crew he has in there, which I don't remember that from the first man of steel movie, you know, the entire crew he has starts destroying the, the, uh, us military mm-hmm. and the car is watching this from a distance, but they see her and she gets her ass kicked. Yeah. So which prompts, Car to come back. She's like, yeah, I need help. Yeah. So at this point, they're going for round two. Yeah. And sure enough, she winds up taking him right into the sky to get all that electricity on him. Yep. Right then and there. And I got to give credit to Rich for 3FN about this. You would think that with all the chemicals still on him, like wouldn't that have washed off with him being in the sky? Presumably. Yeah. But I understand it's comics, so it is. Reasons. Reasons. And then sure enough, he gets his powers back. Yep. So at this point, we now have two Flashes, one Supergirl, and one Batman mm-hmm. ready to fight General Zod and his army of Kryptonian soldiers. Who are now all superpowered because <laughs> yellow sun. Yeah, soldiers are all ready to go. Yeah. And in this fight, this is where things get really yeah. messy. Messy. Yeah. Yeah. 
we get this big battle going on, and everybody there is getting absolutely wasted. Well, because even Flash acknowledges to Barry, like, hey, we're not going to be able to stop them. They're stronger than us because he thinks back to the scene in Justice League, pick your cut, it's in both, Mm -hmm. where he tries to run faster than Clark and Clark turns at the same speed. So he realizes, he knows that these if these superpowered people are on the same level as Clark, they ain't got a shot in hell. Mm -hmm. So he he says like, hey, listen, we're not going to stop them. We just need to slow them down long enough for Kara to stop Zod. Yeah. And they completely are failing mm-hmm. at this left and right. Yeah. In fact, Zod decides to drop the bomb on Kara that, yeah, your cousin, yeah, we took care of him before he ever came to Earth. I was like, because up until this point, we have no idea where the hell Kal-El Clark is. Mm-hmm. He's just not shown up. We, we have, There's no inkling of him. There's no mention of him. Well, there's a mention of him. Like, uh, we don't know what happened. They presume he died on the way there, which, yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. So now this gets everybody fired up. Mm-hmm. And you see that during this fight, Zod kills Kara, and Bruce is killed fighting. Yeah, because Zod kills Kara because the information that was in Superman and Man of Steel with all the Kryptonian DNA information, whatever the hell it is, is in Kara. Not Jor-El put it in Kara, not his son. Why, Ken? Reasons. Reasons. Yeah. So now Zod has what he wants. Yep. Kara's dead. Yep. Bruce sacrificed himself to buy them some time. Yeah, because he tries attacking one of the dropships, spaceships. It fails. The, he His bat plane gets a, attacked, and he can't fly anymore. And he's like, I'm going to go out. But if I'm going to go out, I'm going to take a few of them with me. Yeah. So completely hamming it up, but it is what it is. Yeah. And then you see, obviously, with both Superman and Batman, or, Super, or Supergirl and Batman dead. Mm-hmm. Well... We're going back in time. Because we failed and the world's going to die. Yep. So hit the reset. Here we go. Yep. So sure enough, they go back in time and try doing it again. And it's the same fate, just differently. Differently, because while they're in the speed force, um, you know, Flash looks at Barry and goes, hey, you know what your assignment is? And he goes, yep, got it. So they go back in and they, they go back five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is. And the Flash comes to Batman and goes, hey. Don't attack that ship. It's shielded. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Roger, switching targets. And he goes to attack something else. And he goes, oh, I'll attack them. And he goes, nope. You know what? That's a great idea. You attack them. Yeah. Same result. Meanwhile, Barry tries going to save Kara and adjusting what he did a little bit, but still same result. Yes. So no matter how they're trying to do this, mm-hmm. they keep failing. Mm-hmm. So this goes on for a little while. Like I say, different scenarios. Well, and eventually the Flash quits trying he just stays in the speed force watching barry take off and keep trying yeah because barry is refusing to let this go and then it winds up revealing itself that they never will fix this because uh the flash figured out this is a fixed point like bruce alluded to yeah because bruce wayne said way back when in the beginning of this film that there's certain moments in time you can't fix they happen for reasons mm-hmm. easier way to explain is in a or beyond the spider verse yep. or across the spider verse rather yep that when Uncle Ben or somebody like that dies, that causes Spider-Man to happen. Mm-hmm. So if that doesn't happen, then technically Spider-Man doesn't happen in that world. Yep. This is kind of like in the same scenario. So sure enough, mm-hmm. no matter what they're doing, 
they're still going back in time and you see Flash is saying they're trying to talk to Barry and saying right. like knock it off like like you can't do it. Right. He refuses to. All the meanwhile Barry's getting the shrapnel on his body. Yeah. So you're seeing that the more he's doing this, the more he's taking damage over time and he's not getting healthier, he's getting more hurt. Mhm. And this ultimately reveals itself to cause this cataclysmic event happening with the timelines mm-hmm. because we're doing more tampering than good which was alluded to at some point in this movie mm-hmm. i forget when i know they mentioned that like too much of this and the, and the universe will collapse on itself yeah it, it was hinted throughout but it was kind of like just a, a general idea at the stage yeah 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 and then sure enough we find out so we that see, so you see some more of the universes yeah we start seeing more of the universes because at this point we see the big figure that we thought was Zoom or Savitar, mm-hmm. turns out to actually be Barry. Barry. Who is taking... Stoner s- Barry. Yep, who has taken so much damage over time. And, and can't let go of the fact that, like, you can't fix this. Yeah. He even says, like, no, no, I've, I've almost got it figured out. I know I can do it this time. Yeah. So due to this, he has now caused the universe to collapse itself. Well, a, it's about to. Yeah, it's a paradox, as they call it, like to call yeah, it. Yeah. So when this happens... You see, this kind of causes a fight between all three flashes. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing the worlds are now crashing around them. Right. And we start to peer into some of those universes. Yeah, which was a cool moment. Yeah, I, I, know, I, I got excited for this. I will say, like, there was certain moments of this I dug. Yeah. and But certain ones I'm kind of like, all right, well, why don't we have this person or that person? Right. So in case you weren't aware of who they were or what someone was going on. Uh, so the one Superman we saw that was in the black and white, that was supposed to be George Reeves uh, Superman. He was he played the Man of Steel in the 1940 tele- 40s television show. Uh, so that was that there was that you uh, you have what was supposed to be Jay Garrick from the Flash television series in the 90s, uh, except that wasn't the actor. So hmm, might be something with that. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw what was supposed to be the Adam West, Adam West Batman. They did use some archival audio, so you didn't see the face, but you heard there was a you got to listen for it. There was some audio of Adam West speaking as Batman. So they did show that uh, I will say the the archival footage stuff they used, what the hell did they put it there? Because again, the CGI looked awful for this. Yeah. Uh, you then saw, so you saw George Reeves, Jay Garrick, Adam West. Uh, you then saw Superman and Supergirl uh, in Helen Slater and Christopher Reeve. Although again, supposed to be archival footage, but the CGI or whatever the fuck they did to this looked awful. Mm-hmm. So you saw them, and then you saw the surprise of all surprises. In case you weren't familiar, in, what was this, the 90s? There was supposed to have been a Superman movie uh, called Superman Lives, starring one Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Directed by Tim Burton. Never made it to screen. I don't even think they made it to filming. But certain elements of the plot have been revealed over the years. And Nicolas Cage did screen test a suit. You can Google it. It's been on the internet since the, since the internet's been a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or since he screen tested it. So you, so... We got to see at least a little bit of what would have happened in that movie in that sequence, which was cool to see. Yeah. So, that, but yeah, so those were some of the folks uh, we got to see in the little cameos. Yeah. So you started seeing different interpretations of the classic DC heroes throughout. Yeah. yeah. And while this is all happening, like I say, you're seeing the Savitar Speedster, mm-hmm. as I'll just call him. Sure. Fighting both berries. Mm-hmm. And then it ultimately winds up that Barry sacrifices himself and gets impaled mm-hmm. by Savitar. Right. Thus 
erasing everything he's done finally. Right. And causing Flash to make the decision about going back and fixing it. Right. Well, because at this point, Flash wants to sacrifice himself. Yeah. But Barry realizes the error of his ways and realize this has to stop. Otherwise, this is just a perpetuating series of issues. And then he sacrifices himself. Yeah, it's a very flat moment, though. Yeah, yeah. Because like I say, we could have gotten here a lot sooner. Uh Uh-huh. But no, we drug this out for an hour and a half. And it's just messy. Like I say. Yeah, no, it was. Just messy and sloppy writing. So Barry, at this point, there's only one Barry left. Mm Mm-hmm. Because both have now been erased from the timeline. He goes back to the moment where he places the tomato can in his mom's cart. He Well, and he sees his other self that put it there leave and then he in uh disguise mm-hmm. uh, goes up and goes to take the tomato can out of his mom's cart and has a really heartfelt moment this, this pulled at my heartstrings a little bit this this did what it needed to do yeah this this was like the emotional heartstrings pull yeah and I, I will say like they did a decent job with this uh, yeah the actress who played uh nora allen was absolutely fantastic uh maribel uh verdu i believe is her name yeah she was great yeah she was awesome actually had no problem with her yeah. when she was on screen yeah and like I say, it was a it was a cool moment to see because now obviously this changes everything. Right, it puts everything back. Yeah, in but theory. In theory, because in theory. as he goes back mm-hmm. in time, he does wind up changing one thing and doesn't really. Pick well, so it up. he he thinks you know he's back at the right time because he ends up back in his apartment and there's a note under a beer bottle from uh, Iris. Yep, and she's like, "Hey, we'll have to do this again sometime. You know, whatever." And then he goes, oh, shit, courthouse. And he goes to the courthouse. Mm-hmm. He goes there. His dad is uh, on his hearing. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the footage shows a different one that we saw yeah. at the beginning of the film. Because at the beginning of the film, his dad didn't look up. But now his dad looks up at the camera. Yes. He lo- he now looks up at the camera. So now it's clear as day that yep. he was at the store and he was not at home when mm-hmm. the assailant came in and killed his mom. Mm-hmm. So now his dad is finally free. Yep. So he leaves the courthouse with Iris, and Barry is kind of like really digging what's going on, like because mm-hmm. obviously it worked. Like he did it somehow. He's, al- he's also confused because he he goes out of the courthouse. The reporters see him and obviously know who he is, and they go to get a statement. And he says, I don't even remember what he says. He says something that makes utterly no sense. That even the reporters are like, "Wait, what did you just say?" Mm-hmm. So. He winds up doing all this. He's still back to be an awkward Barry, even though, like I say, we, we've now seen him. We've seen two different versions of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, like M- Miller's performance just kind of really just fell flat. Yeah, it really didn't do anything for no. me. No, even when he died, I didn't want to stress about it too much. I had one of the worst death scenes. Yeah. Uh, on record. Yeah. With his with his flash dying. Yeah. But we do get the proverbial cherry on this Sunday, so to speak, because. Well, Bruce Wayne shows up at the courthouse. Mm-hmm. And it's not the Bruce Wayne that we were expecting. It's not Ben Affleck. It's not Christian Bale. It's not, uh, uh, what is it, Val Kilmer. Nope. It's not Michael Keaton. Nope. George Clooney. Yep. Shows up. George freaking Clooney. The man who said, has admitted uh, they almost killed, which, boy, this was a cut some people didn't understand because they haven't seen the movie. Uh, some people didn't understand, uh, but for those who don't, uh, he played Bruce Wayne in the 1997 film Batman and Robin, one of the worst comic book movies of all time. Like I said, I, I admit it's a terrible film. Mm-hmm. I still have fond memories of it because I watched it as a kid growing up. Um, but yeah, George fucking Clooney shows up, even the he's admitted, and Joel Schumacher 
God rest his soul, admitted before he died, yeah, we screwed that movie up. Yeah. It almost killed the franchise. And that's literally how they end things on. Yeah. Like even the bonus scene with Aquaman isn't anything worth writing home about. Aquaman gets drunk. Barry tells him about what had happened, and Aquaman doesn't really understand because he's drunk. Yep. I told you the whole scene. Yeah. And end movie. Yeah. Like, honestly, I don't understand how people are grading this so high. I, I on on Letterbox, I gave it like a three and a half. And I and I was I was gonna give it a three, but I gave it the half just because I like some of the action sequences. The action sequences, for as confusing as fuck as they were, I still dug the action sequences. It was the fights were. It was cool to see Michael Shannon back as General Zod. It was cool to see Jeremy Irons because I thought Jeremy Irons was was a good, not great. He was a good Alfred. You know, he never really got a shake in Alfred all that much. Um, but no, I, I gave it a three and a half on Letterboxd because it was fine. You know, the I I like some of the action sequences. You know, but overall it was. Not real memorable for me. So out of 10, what would you grade it? Out of 10, probably like a four and a half, maybe five. Okay. Four and a half, maybe five. Okay. Yeah. Like it's it, like I said, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. I didn't come out of this like you remember our reaction seeing Dark Phoenix. Yeah, Dark Phoenix. Dark right. Phoenix for me is the benchmark of bad. Okay. That, that like they introduced wholesale characters integral to that story and never said who the fuck they were. That there was just so much of that that just didn't make any goddamn sense. That was that's the benchmark for me for bad. That like this one was bad, but it wasn't that bad. Okay. Like I say, I respect your opinion. Yeah. The, like I say, because you and I, I, yeah. I graded it lower. I gave it a two. Sure. Like, because here's the reasons why. As we've talked about, the writing was all over the place. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah. So for all the time it took to get the script together. You, whoever signed off on this, like, did we read this and go like, okay, this makes sense. That's the thing, too, is when they stuck to at least the structure of the Flashpoint story from the comics, Mm -hmm. it was fine, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. where it's the whole, oh, you know, like, honestly, you could have cut out the whole opening sequence. Yeah, the opening sequence in Gotham was trash. Opening sequence you could have cut, not needed at all. When they stuck to the parts that were at least involved or tied with the flashpoint story Mm -hmm. of he wants to go back in time and save his mother because you know he realizes he can time travel he goes back and does it and comes back that was fine for me it started to fall apart once it diverted from the flashpoint comic story and i realized they had to because it's a whole convoluted fucking thing if you're going to follow that story one for one when you haven't set up some of the stuff in in the movie universe, mm-hmm. but when they, it's it's like with the Game of Thrones stuff, when they stuck to the George R. R. Martin stuff, it was fantastic. Once they diverted from it, it was a hot piece of shit. This is the same thing for me. Like I enjoyed the parts that were tied to the the story. Mm-hmm. Once you diverted, you lost me. Yeah, I mean, I, like I say, trash might be too strong of a word, but like I say, just the whole added extras in this mm-hmm. writing and the script and even with the acting was just so unnecessary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so apologies if that was getting people fired up about it but i mean i'm just gonna be very honest about it i thought it was just you had an opening sequence that didn't really make sense it didn't so unnecessary it, yeah like i say it was it was it was hot garbage i will mm-hmm. say i'll put it very very more politely like for me it just didn't make any sense and especially you you took the whole point was he needed food to go get powered up right you never went back to it the entire story. All, it was it was only mentioned when Barry got the powers. Right. 
But Barry got over that super quick. He, it never got brought up. He's like, oh, you're going to need to eat a lot. And he does eat a lot for a scene. Yeah. And then it's never brought up and he never eats again. Yeah. So what was even the point of doing that? There was none. Yeah. Doing the Flashpoint storyline, like, I get why. We could have just jumped yeah. there. And, yeah. and yeah. But Barry at the stage should not be this awkward with his powers. Right. And I'm sorry, like, you've been Flash for an extended period of time. This is not year one. If this was year one, I would cut it more slack. Sure. But it's not. So you go back and you completely make a mess of things and you don't do enough to establish the characters you're working with. Because let's be honest, if you were checking out this movie for the first time, you had no idea about Batman 89, what would you think about the Batman? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. Like that's the whole thing. You rely too heavy on the nostalgia of this movie to really carry you through. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, I'm sorry, like you tried going to the well too many times. And it just it, it missed because yeah did we get to see Keaton do this and I love seeing his performance yeah I you know like I say Keaton's the one bright spot of this movie but mm-hmm. it's not enough to carry it over for me yeah I mean it, that, that's kind of where my girlfriend Liz Bailey was because she's not seen all of these new DC movies mm-hmm. she's aware of the '89 movie I don't think she's seen it all but she knew who the character was because high suit and, and uh, logo yeah but like she for her he she said he was great and she was kind of with me she's like the movie was fine don't need to see it again. I saw it. It was what it was, you know, but it didn't blow her away, which when with these movies, you want it to blow people away because that gets them invested for what's coming down the line. But again, shit with DC up until this point has been so mismatched and fucking jumbled together. It's hard to get into any of it. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens with the James Gunn stuff, because this movie closed the book on the Snyderverse. Yeah. Ding dong. The universe is dead. Yeah. Well, I take those hashtags off me. Fuck no. no. Y'all are a bunch of crazy motherfuckers. <laughs> um, but no, the, the the universe is dead. The characters are not coming back. I don't think we'll see Ezra Miller back just for a whole host of reasons. No, Ezra is not coming back. No. Sorry. I think if there was any idea about this, the movie not doing well, the box office put mm-hmm. the final exclamation yeah. point on that. Well, and if you just want an example of how mismatched this, stu- this studio, by studio, I mean DC Films has been, there's an article on the Hollywood Reporter uh, website about this movie having three different endings over the course of its production. There's the one we saw in theaters, which I'll get to, but reading from the article on HollywoodReporter.com, and I'm not reading the full thing. I'm jumping in at the important part. Yeah. It says, quote, The Flash began life under the studio regime run by Toby Emmerich and his lieutenant, DC Films boss, Walter Hamada. Most of the shooting and post-production was undertaken under that leadership, with the movie as part of Hamada's plan to have Flash build a major reset of the entire DC cinematic universe, departing from the one established by filmmaker Zack Snyder with Man of Steel a decade ago. Hamada planned a Flash sequel and then wanted to segue to a movie inspired by the 1980s classic comic event Crisis on Infinite Earths. The Flash, as it was originally conceived and shot, ended on the courthouse steps with Supergirl, played by Sasha Calais, and Batman, played by Michael Keaton, who was already featured throughout the movie as a returned Batman. It was meant to highlight that Barry did not reset the timeline, as he thought he did. It was an ending that was screen-tested several times, one that reversed the deaths of Superman and Bat- Supergirl excuse me, and Batman earlier in the film. However, the movie got caught in the lightning storm that was Discovery's acquisition of Warner Brothers in 2022. Emmerich and Hamada were ousted, and Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav was on the hunt for an executive to run DC. 
In the meantime, Michael DeLuca and Pamela Abdi were installed as Warner Brothers Picture Group chairpersons and CEO. They were tasked with overseeing DC temporarily and suddenly, and certainly not unexpectedly, they had their own plans. A new Flash ending was conceived. This version was still on the courthouse steps, but now Calais Supergirl was joined by Superman, played by Henry Cavill, and Wonder Woman, played by Gal Gadot. Keaton also remained. DeLuca and Abdi believed they were being strategic with the ending. Cavill was going to cameo for DC movies uh, Black Adam and was being teed up to return to the role in a brand new Superman movie. Supergirl was retained uh, because even though the executives were killing the development of a standalone Supergirl movie, they were open to her returning in some form and didn't want the last image audiences saw of her to be her death at the hands of a supervillain. Meanwhile, the studio was developing a third installment of Wonder Woman with filmmaker Patty Jenkins and Star Gadot. This was a nice way to keep Wonder Woman in the cultural conversation. This ending was shot in September involving Miller, Cavill, and Gadot, as well as Keaton and Calais. Then came another lightning strike. In November, Zaslav announced that filmmakers James Gunn and producer Peter Safran were, run to, DC, were to run DC Studios overseeing all DC film and television efforts. And suddenly, and certainly not unexpectedly, they had their own plans. Knowing they were resetting the DC universe under their own vision, Gunn and Safran saw that having Cavill and Godot in the new ending was potentially promising something their plans were not going to deliver. One of the last actions, one of the first actions, excuse me, the duo took was to scrap the Cavill Superman film. And they also parted ways with Jenkins, effectively killing the third Wonder Woman installment. The filmmakers, according to multiple people associated with the movie, then looked for alternatives, but wanted to keep the germ of the idea. Barry Allen thinks all is right, but then has the rug pulled out at the last moment. They also went back to an idea joked about earlier in the filmmaking process. How many Batman can we get? Clooney was brought up as a long shot, but Gunn and Safran jumped on the notion. The duo reached out to Clooney's agent at CAA, Brian Lord, showing him a cut of the mostly finished film. He liked it and then showed it to Clooney. Clooney liked it and agreed to be part of it. A shoot was quickly assembled and on a January morning on the Warner's lot, Clooney was there as Wayne, back for the first time in 26 years. Also on set was Miller, making their first appearance on the lot since the fateful day in August, where they met with DeLuca and Abdi to discuss their controversial behavior, including multiple arrests and steps forward. Uh, close quote. So th if you want an example of just how messy this whole filmmaking process was, this fucking thing had three endings. Yeah, I mean, just top to bottom, this had been so mysterious mm -hmm. I, I think that's the nicest way i'm going to put this there was so there was a point in time where i know you said until you were actually sitting in a theater going to watch the movie you wouldn't believe it was actually happening agreed no i, I saw there were so many writer changes and director changes and rewrites and cancellations and just everything yeah like andy Muschietti, who was the director of this like i mean i i understand what he was trying to do with this sure but i think there was just so much thrown in well, it's gonna be interesting because he is directing the upcoming batman brave and the bold movie well i think in that situation whoever's writing it i think is going to be a little more i don't want to say loose about it mm -hmm. but let's face it i don't think there's as much pressure on that film sure than there was with this one because i mean this one obviously had a, an uphill battle 
Yeah. Let's face it. Yeah. When your star is in the legal trouble that they were in. Plus the film was in development for 10 years. Yeah. You have a lot to overcome to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I think trying to go back to the Batman Superman well and try cramming too many stories in at once. Yeah. Really hurt because yeah. you went from Flashpoint to Crisis on Infinite Earths. You tried dabbling with Red Sun. It didn't work. No. And then obviously relying so heavily on Michael Keaton to carry you through, even though he's not really a big part of the movie no. in the grand scheme of things. No. I think just really hurt them overall. Like it's it, in, in the Flashpoint comic, obviously it's Thomas Wayne, not Bruce Wayne. Sure. You know, so but Thomas Wayne isn't the feature of that comic. He's just there to help move the story along. Right. And it became the minute that Barry went to the timeline, it shifted to Keaton. And but yeah. Keaton, but at this stage though, Keaton is a different character than we thought. Mm-hmm. And like I say, no problems with his performance at all. No. Because like I said, he got to ham it up. He finally got to do a shared universe as the character that he's most well known for. And I can't help but wonder if this movie was edited in, in that way to feature Keaton because I know there was a story within the last couple of days where the actress who plays Supergirl said there were, in her words, R-rated sequences with Supergirl that got cut from the movie. So I can't, I can't, and this is not me knowing anything. I'm not saying, yeah. you know, oh, I heard this reported or either this was told to me. I can't help but wonder that given everything on going on with Ezra Miller and the headlines and just with the movie, they were going, hey, you know, what's a safe, stable rock? Keaton. Yeah. Everyone loves Keaton. He's, he, you know, nobody really says anything bad about Keaton. Let's make him the focus of this movie once it hits the point he comes in. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that was the noteworthy saving grace. But I think in closing with this, it just fumbled the ball mm-hmm. too much. Mm-hmm. And it stumbled to even get near the finish line when you just have that writing that was all over the place. Like yeah. I say, your third act, everything fell apart. Yeah. And there's nothing redeemable about it. Because I, if you were trying to establish the great lengths they were doing to save this timeline, you completely missed the mark. Right. I mean, I, I can forgive the opening sequence because I've watched every James Bond movie and every James Bond movie has an opening sequ- sure. sequence that has absolutely fucking nothing to do with the rest of the movie. That's just how James Bond works. But it's established and it's expected at this point. You get mm-hmm. that awesome action sequence at the opening. I expect something with the opening of a superhero movie to like, okay, this is going to tie in or factor in somehow at the end of the movie. Like, like when Avengers uh, Infinity War, when Thanos shows up and, and wrecks the, the entire uh, spaceship of all the Asgardians that sends Bruce to Earth, and he goes, Thanos is coming. That plays a factor into the movie down the road. That's yeah. not just a throwaway sequence like, oh, hey, we, we need to fill out another 10 minutes of this movie. Let's just throw something together. Yeah. That, which is what the opening sequence felt like. Like, oh, we, we need to give Gal Gadot a send off because she's probably not going to play Wonder Woman again. Let's just throw in a sequence. Yeah. For being the send off for the Snyderverse and everything it represented. I mean, I obviously Blue Beetle is coming out. We don't know where that fits in the plans. Uh, from what I've read, that's going to be technically the first film of the James Gunn DCU. But Superman's going to be the official kickoff. Yeah. Yeah, which from is, what from what so Aquaman is going to be this weird in between who knows what the fuck is going on. We're going to have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. But from what I've read, uh, Blue Beetle is going to be the first film under the gun Safran banner, I guess you could say. But the official kickoff is going to be Superman Legacy. Yeah. So we'll kind of have to wait and see how it plans out. But for the final goodbye, it's a whimper. 
And yeah. it, it's, it, it did yeah. not have an emotional impact for me. No. I think the writing, like I say, just was all over the place, and it didn't have a linear story to follow. Mm-hmm. I think the CGI just obviously needed work for that kind of budget. The CG, I'll tell you this. The CGI made this stuff on CW, and I'm not talking Superman and Lois, mm-hmm. but Arrow, Black Lightning, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Flash. It made that CGI look good. Yeah. It just really had a lot that just didn't play in its favor, and it, it almost kind of questions, like, how did this come out and Batgirl didn't, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Yeah. So I can't give it a good rating. I can't say it was a, it was a good experience. It's a one and done for me. Yeah. And obviously, Pat has made his point very well known. Uh, he, he liked it a little more than I did, and that's nothing was, wrong with it. Was, yeah, it was like fine. I said, and it, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that, but obviously, for a lot of people that are rating it super high, we definitely have to have that conversation politely and respectfully, as we always do. Like I know our guy Dre Driven, he really loved it. Yeah, which is fine. Which is like, listen, yeah. shout out to Dre. I'm not, I'm not mad at him about his, and I'm not thinking he was in the wrong either. Yeah, that's how he felt about the movie. You heard our takes on it, so hit us up on that hashtag hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts of the Flash? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? Let's discuss, shall we? We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial, or well, your phone, your watch, or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod and check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got just one thing to talk about. Uh, that is some Marvel Comics news, and specifically Star Wars. Ooh. Uh, because there is a new story, miniseries, whatever the hell you want to call it, that was announced today by the folks over at Marvel. Uh, and reading from the official Marvel website, it says, quote, First, it comes for the metal. Then, it came for everything else. A new threat will be unleashed throughout the galaxy far, far away in Star Wars Dark Droids. The all-new Marvel Comics crossover event kicking off in August, written by Charles Soule. Hold on, there's a pop-up in my screen. There we go. Written by Charles Soule and drawn by Luke Ross. Uh, This dark and terrifying tale will introduce a malevolent entity known as the Scourge, which will corrupt droids, cyborgs, and everything in between and cause chaos for the Empire and Rebellion alike. A new line of variant covers by Rachel Stott spotlights some of the, its prime targets, in su- including C-3PO, uh, Belair Valance, and, in a shocking twist, Darth Vader. Ooh. After all, there is no greater prize than the Force, and since he's more machine than man, the Scourge will seek to claim it for n- none other than the Dark Lord of the Sith himself. So I'm showing Ken these cover arts. Uh, they do look very cool. You got the first one, the C-3PO. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, you got C-3PO there. You got another droid. Uh, looks like uh, K2, uh, K2SO from Rogue One getting attacked. Uh, got another one getting attacked. You see a cyborg there getting, getting attacked. And then there's Vader. 
Vader getting attacked by whatever. Vader one looks real Vader cool. Vader one looks, looks real cool. Uh, the article goes on to say, uh, Stott's Scourge variant covers will adorn all five issues of the main event series and will be available as virgin variant covers. Check them out now and pick up Star Wars Dark Droids issue number one on August the 2nd. I have no idea what this is, but I like the concept of it. And it's uh, going to be interesting. Plus, it's Charles Soule. You can't go wrong. I was going to say, it's Charles Soule. So you, you can't go wrong with that. Nope. You really, really can't. Nope. So for me, on uh, keep it on the Marvel tip. There was an announcement that happened that yeah. caught my attention. Yeah. There's a wedding coming up. Oh, yeah. That And boy, the Internet's got some feelings about this. Man. Woohoo. Which, I mean, oh, oh I, I understand. Pepper Potts, how you feeling? Because it was announced in reading from a press article from Marvel.com, uh, quote, there is uh, earlier today IGN exclusively revealed the upcoming covers for X-Men 26 and Invincible Iron Man number 10 featured the long-awaited wedding between Emma Frost and Tony Stark. Yeah. So debuting in September, both issues are written by Jerry Dugan and with art from Stefano Caselli on X-Men 26 and Juan Figueroa on Invincible Iron Man number 10. Uh, this is coming down, and in X-Men 26, the moment we swore would never happen. Heck, the moment Emma Frost swore would never happen is here at last. The Frost Stark knot is tied. Yeah, and, and I got confused at first because the tweet you initially sent me from Marvel mentioned anthony edwards stark and i go wait which stark relative is this and then it hit me i'm like no wait fuck this is tony yeah i was like oh shit yeah so this is gaining a lot of interest on the internet i'm here for the intrigue of the story and to see where this goes i'm also here and i got some popcorn to watch the internet burn because boy they got some feelings oh man i'm in for this what about pepper Potts? I'm in for this. Oh, oh man, this is just wild to me, and I yeah. can I cannot wait to pick this up. Yeah. However, though, there is some uh, cover news with this. Yep. That has gained some uh, traction. Uh huh. Because on one of the X or the Avengers shoulders mm-hmm. is one Kamala Khan. Yeah, supposed to be dead. Supposed to be dead, but is very very much alive. Mm-hmm. So, guessing by this time we will know her true fate. And see her come back because I can't see her thrown on this cover just for reasons. Right. So interesting to see how this plays out. Uh yeah, this is gonna be a storyline to watch. I'm yeah. I'm intrigued to see where this goes. I am too. Because yeah, this is just something I did not have lined up. But if you've been reading the X-Men line right now, there there's been a lot of stuff that's been kind of setting up for this a little bit, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So especially if you see the Sentinels lately. Yeah. Uh, just kind of putting that out there. Yeah. So that being said, keep your eyes out for that in September because there's a lot more coming with this, but I am one that is definitely excited to check this oh, out. Cool. So, Pad, we're talking comic picks this week. Yes. What uh, you got? Got two from DC, one from Marvel. Uh, the two from DC, first of which is Nightwing issue number 105. Uh, so, hey, still written by Tom Taylor, so it is still a fantastic read. Highly recommend you check that out. Also from DC this week from Joshua Williamson, Superman issue number five. Uh, this run has been a lot of fun, so definitely give that a check. And then from Marvel... The one I have been waiting for since they announced it, because holy fuck, I cannot wait. I loved the Ultimate Universe when it dropped way back in 2001. Uh, But Ultimate Invasion, issue number one from Jonathan Hickman. Uh, Description of this is, the transformation of the Marvel Universe begins. Superstar creators Jonathan Hickman and Brian Hitch team up. The Illuminati must form once again to stop the Maker from his plans to destroy, or perhaps rebuild, the universe with Miles Morales at the center of it all. 
Brian's work on The Ultimates helped redefine superhero comics for the 2000s. Wait until you see what he and Jonathan have in store for this decade, including new data pages by Jonathan Hickman, plus exclusive behind-the-scenes material on the world-building that has gone into this project. I am so fucking excited for this. Listen, you might not be the biggest fan of the Ultimates universe, but a lot of what you see on the big screen is borrowed from the Ultimates universe. Absolutely. Yeah, this one throws me off a little bit because it's Hickman writing, which Mm -hmm. I love. I mean, I'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of his writing. I would love to see him come back to the X-Men, though. Sure. So, because that was where he started with the whole Powers of X, you know. yeah. So, that being said, if anybody can do something with the Ultimates universe, it's him. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm just I like when I first heard about this, I was like, okay, this is a little crazy. Yeah. And now seeing him attached to this, I mean, I don't know what to expect. I'm definitely want to check this out. Ultimate Green Goblin. Bring him back. I mean, anything like honestly, my, my opinion, best version of Green Goblin. He is ru- he is ruthless and he gives no fucks. I mean, it's, it's up there. It's a it's a great one though. Yeah. So definitely keep an eye out for that one. Avengers two by Jed McKay and Stuart Ramon. Like I have that on my list as well too. Okay. Like I say, they're doing a lot of cool things there. Uh, DC wise too. Uh, I can't go a week without talking about Batman, Superman, World's Finest, Mark Wade, Dan Mora. Okay. Like, I feel like do I need to say anything more than that? But uh, this whole run has been great, and especially if you've seen a cover that's leaked out right now, Nicholas Cage, Superman. Yes. Yes. That, that's gonna be a fun collector's item. That is gonna be definitely something to keep an eye out for. Uh, I know last week we didn't get a chance to talk comics because obviously we were talking with Matt Groom from Inferno Girl Red, and I hope everybody went and picked up the trade paperback because it was it's amazing. And I definitely have to give a shout-out to everybody at Black Market Narrative for hooking me up with a copy as well, too, because I got a couple of them right now because it's that damn good. I might have to Maybe I'll do something for Patreon for that. I don't know. We'll have to see. But that being said, I didn't get a chance to talk about last week's comic picks and from Comixology Originals, Nostalgia Number 1. Ooh. So this is written by Scott Hoffman, who, Pad, have you ever heard of the group called Scissor Sisters? I don't think so. They're kind of uh, like a, a pop group from uh, a, a, a ways back. Okay. But anyway, he wrote this story, and I apologize. I'm, I'm going to uh, probably mess the name up. as like Danielle Zazili. Uh, mm-hmm. On the artwork, so very cool, like futuristic stuff, and kind of like found this musician who's, you know, finding you know life after the music, so to speak. So it's kind of got a whole different vibe for it. Issue two is out this week on Comicsology Originals as well, too. I haven't got a chance to read that yet, but the series, you know, is definitely kind of a different vibe to it. So one, if you really look for something a little off center to go check, like this might be something up your alley. Like I have to say, it it was an interesting read for me. So we'll definitely have to see how this, this plays out. But yeah, the story the story was a little interesting. I gotta say that. So you definitely want to try checking it out. Comicsology Originals always doing great stuff. We always plug them. Uh, from Boom Studios, Ghost Lore number two, Colin Bun, Leo Max, and this whole story is just getting like really crazy and out of control. It's a horror book, so I know Pad, you are uh, not going to check it out, but I will show you the cover. I'll say not in any way, shape, or form. The cover is, is yeah, that's nice. Yeah, cover is cool. Yeah, Pad is a, a very well known, uh, not horror fan of anything. Yes, but he will give you an honest opinion if you show him a cover. So that's what I try doing. Yeah. And the story obviously what it go, is going on with Pastor Lucas and his daughter Harmony, and now the situation they're in involving the spirits of the afterworld. Definitely a cool story. Definitely one that if you're looking for a little something different, this is going to be up your alley as well, too. Boom Studios has become like the home of horror comics, in my opinion. They just keep putting out hit after hit after hit. And this one is definitely no exception. Like This is, is one that you want to keep your eyes out for. 
Click, click, boom, number one, ha. Image Comics. I like the name. I, this book it got a 9.5 out of 10 for me. Okay. I really enjoy this book. Doug Wagner, uh, Doug Dabs, and it's a really interesting story about this girl named Sprout who is communicating via Polaroids. Okay. So like she's taking pictures, and that's how she's talking. And she's more or less a trained assassin who is now trying to figure out who killed her grandfather. Mm-hmm. And, like, how this all comes about, like I said, she never says a word in the story. She gets tied up with a reporter slash podcaster and just the mystery that they are now involved in. Mm-hmm. Really a cool story. Really thought this was a dope concept, top to bottom. So I really enjoyed this book. So, obviously, I'm giving a very high recommendation. You can go check it out. And then also last week, oh, my God, I, I had a moment. Yeah. Battle Chasers number 10. Ah, uh, okay. Joy Mad. Ludo Lullaby. This book came back in a big way. Pad, you like kind of D&D action adventure stuff? A little bit, yeah. Check this artwork out. Ooh, that's nice. This has been the story of... You want to talk about books that have been like in kind of that limbo purgatory type deal? Sure. The whole story with this one is Joey Mads at the time, uh, Joe Maria, mm-hmm. uh had been the artist that kind of came in was the next big thing at Marvel after Jim Lee and everybody went to Image. Sure. It redefined how we looked at the X-Men on Uncanny X-Men. Like, his stuff is, you can find it on Marvel Unlimited. I highly recommend go checking his stuff out. Like, it's fantastic. He left the X-Men and went over to this uh, imprint under Wildstorm at the time, which was still with Image Comics. That was Jim Lee's uh, universe there. And he was on the cliffhanger imprint with mm. J. Scott Campbell who left Gen 13 to go do this and Umberto Ramos who was a big artist at the time too so they all did their own creative own books mm-hmm. so he did Battle Chasers which if you're a fan of like D&D adventure type right this is up your alley like okay. this is your book okay and the book it just had like you know just kind of fell behind on production because the art is so detailed. Right, right. And like, and Joe got doing some other things like video games and such. So, so he's the George R. Martin of comic books. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. It takes way too long to get anything done. Super fucking detailed and gets sidetracked easily. Yeah. Well, this book, like I say, the last issue came out number nine in two thousand and one. Again, sounds like George R. Martin. <laughs> yeah. So if it, it, but it's been something on the trade paperbacks that's been blowing up, and. When it got announced that this was coming back, I freaked out because I remember going to the comic shop and buying this and being like mind blown because I'm not somebody that's like super big into like the the Lord of the Rings type stuff. Sure. Like, but I, I do like it, but it's not like my wheelhouse. Like this is something, Pad, you should check out. Mm. And they came back with this issue and they picked right up where they left off. They did something I really enjoyed, which they gave a character intro for everybody, a story update for everybody. So nice. you jumped right in. So like if you're a new reader, it was so accessible. Absolutely love this issue. And I cannot wait to check out issue number 11, which is out next month. Definitely will be talking about that on the ODPH when that comes out. But if you haven't checked out Battle Chasers, holy shit, it was good. Yeah, you got me swearing. That's how freaking good this was. And then this week, uh, like I say, Got some books definitely want to mention as well. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 109. Melissa Flores, Simona Gianfelis, absolutely crushing it as always. Like the whole series is setting up for the Darkest Hour, which is going to be the the big crossover or the big storyline, I should say, happening in those in that book. Right. So you definitely want to go check that out. This issue absolutely is going to crush it too. Rogue Sun number 13. So they are officially back at the Massiveverse after Supermassive. 
And Ryan Parrott, Abel, and Marco Renna are on the book uh, big title duties for this one. Uh, obviously, that whole team crushes it with every issue. Definitely one to check out after the uh, ending of issue number 12 because mm. the stat quo is definitely different. There's a lot to talk about there. Arcade Kings. Now, this is a very cool book out by uh, Skybound Entertainment and Image Comics. Okay. Um, so issue number one was a really cool surprise of following this uh, young man's journey, uh, trying to track down his brother uh, in Infinite City. And like, it's a really dope story. But it's something if you like kind of like just really high energy action type vibe is one I'd like. I, I give it a high recommendation. Okay. Like I, I really like the series. And then this is one that I'm I got into. It's like I say, the the creative team sold me on this because I will admit I'm kind of new to this universe as Bone Archer Tenement. Okay. Number one uh, image comics. So Jeff Lemire, Andrea Sorrentino. You might know them from Old Man Logan. Okay. Green Arrow. Okay. So uh, Gideon's Falls. So they do a lot of cool stuff. And this is one in the Bone Archer mythos, which is like the shared horror universe. Definitely one to check out on New Comic Book Day. So a lot of good stuff happening. Image Comics, Boom Studios, Marvel DC. No matter what you're reading and where you're at in the world, make sure to always go out and support your favorite independent comics. Uh, and make sure to go out and support comics in general. Go support your local comic shops wherever they're at. And obviously go support your favorite independent comic podcast because we're all doing big things. Trying to give you the recommendations and really get you to go out and go support these books because it absolutely means a lot to everybody. So that being said, Pad, for anything and everything, it is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one only, Pad one j Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.